Hairdressing, business, beauty, products, people, interviews, fitness, health, well-being. I'm Nathan Plumridge and welcome to Hair Life. On this week's show, I'm joined by the founders of Wellity Global, Simon Scott Nelson and Sadie Resterick. These two amazing entrepreneurs are changing the way that businesses look after their teams by creating phenomenal health and well-being programs that are designed to help break the confines of work expectations and pressures whilst allowing you to feel empowered to manage your own well-being. This is a show you do not want to miss. So sit back and enjoy the show. My guests on this week's show are two incredible entrepreneurs who have created an amazing new health and wellness brand called Wellity Global. Welcome, Simon and Sadie, to Hair Life. It is an absolute pleasure to have you both on the show. I genuinely have been super excited about having you both on because this is an area uh, of my life that I'm incredibly passionate about and to have the pair of you and discuss it in depth uh, is going to be very exciting for our listeners. So what I'd love you to do, uh, if you don't mind, just very quickly, is just give our listeners a, a quick introduction uh, into each of you. So uh, Sadie, shall I start with you? Ladies first. Oh, ever so kind. Thank you very much. Lovely to be here, Nathan. So my name is Sadie Restrict, co-founder and CEO at Wellity Global. I work exclusively as a consultant and trainer. I'm also a global speaker, um, really in helping improve workplace well-being, developing and designing bespoke customised interventions for companies, large and small, to help improve the well-being of their workforce. Fantastic. Simon, over to you. Sadie's bio is so much longer than that. You, you've missed out. You've missed out loads. She's got qualifications coming out of her ears. She's a global speaker. She's worked with some of the biggest brands in the world. We're going to have to drag this out if it's obvious. Um, Nathan, it's an absolute pleasure to be here. Um, fan of yours for a while and, and what you're doing there and, um, and with this podcast. And well, my name's Simon Scott Nelson. I'm CEO and co-founder with Sadie of Wellity, Wellity Global. Um, some, just something that's really, really close to my heart for all authenticity. Had a period of, of burnout a few years ago, chronic burnout, some other things that will come in, I'm sure we'll discuss or at least touch upon. And it gave me a really healthy, healthy appreciation for mental health and well-being and how important it is. Um, I was in the sales industry, had some estate agents in, um, in the West Country, Exeter and Bath and surroundings. And after the sale of that, effectively, uh, one thing led to another, and we'll come on to that later. But because of that, I am now um, chair of the Institute of Sales Professionals Mental Health and Wellbeing um, Committee, uh, obviously doing what we do at Wellity, and co-founder with um, Sadie of the Great British Workplace Wellbeing Awards, which highlights uh, everyone who's just done something really great over the last couple of years, everyone who's come forward and uh, made a difference, and that's what we look to champion. Amazing. Well, that's pretty good. Yeah, I'm with you there, Simon. When I was reading through uh, bio, I, I was actually uh, at the send off air. <laughs> Blimey. I was like, I'm not sure if the show's long enough. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> we'll have to drag this out of us. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I've only booked out an hour. Anyway, right. Slow people. Um, now, let's just get back to here we are. So for me, obviously, mental health and talking about it, um, 
ultimately has really accelerated in the last three years, obviously for a number of reasons. But it's still sometimes with people a little bit of a taboo kind of subject. And I think as a business owner, with particularly as a large team now, um, it's something that we are taking very, very seriously. And what I wanted to look at is um, everything you're doing at kind of Wellity, what can we do to, or what is it doing to make it easier for bosses uh, and their teams to actually have this conversation? You know, what is it that we as a boss can access to make a conversation easier? Great question to kick off with. Good, Love it. Good yeah. I mean, I've, I've worked in this field for 12 years, so I've seen a lot of change over that time. And we have made some progress in relation to, to breaking down some of the stigmas and taboos, but there is still a long way to go. And, and you're really right. It's very much the case that when we're doing okay, we kind of agree with the, yes, it's okay not to be okay. And, and we're really on board with talking and vocalizing if we're struggling, but it's, it's when we get to that point where we are not knowing where to turn and we are unsure and uncertain suddenly the walls go up the barriers go up we're much more prone to that negative critical internal narrative and a lot harder on ourselves so when we're looking at it from a management perspective and what managers can actually do to encourage people to open up it's it's got to be persistent patience we refer to it as that it does take time it's if we think of it as a, a wall a barrier that some people put up in relation to essentially showing openly what they're they're really really feeling if there's a wall there we have to really break it down brick by brick we can't come in with a sledgehammer and just crash it down and expect everyone to allow themselves to be vulnerable because that's really difficult to do so it's just doing that really really gradually and taking its time but a big part of that is going first with with managers themselves employers openly talking about their own experiences the the struggles they've navigated and that it's it's generally okay to talk openly in the workplace around your mental health, around your well-being. You know, just as you would talk about if you come into the salon and say, "I've got a really bad headache today." You know, it's, it's exactly the same. But we have to literally normalise that. We have to make it normal mm -hmm. to talk about that in such an open forum. But essentially, the more we see other people do that, and there not be huge repercussions of people not getting the sack and thinking, "Oh, they they would they talked about their mental health and everyone rallied around them, they supported them. It was okay." You know, it's going to have that knock-on effect, that domino effect, but it does essentially take time. And is it one of those where, let's just, as an example. Mm -hmm. Okay, so say uh, I have one of my team and they uh, had access to Wellity. What would it look like for them? It, you know, how would it look for them? What would be a typical scenario for them that, they or they could kind of access um, and how would it fit in a typical day let's say somebody comes in and they're having a really really bad day what would it look like for them it kind of works five steps before that in terms of a consultation with you and the team and if you imagine that every every organization is so bespoke you know we work with all industries last not long ago Sadie had a, a, a standing ovation on an oil rig albeit remotely but we work with organizations like home office save the children and nokia they're all completely different in completely industries and part part of the thing we're really interesting to find out on this with you as well is to see what's actually unique not just in the in the the world and the industry that you live in but for you and your 
micro environment there within where, where they're all set in the sort of mood, the climate, we call it, um, within the organization. So it depends on the individuals, what they're actually looking for. We, we, we cover, Wellity covers everything to do with the individual. Now, we, we say it, it's all about the human, it's about the individual. Once, once, once we can help the individual, then they can bring their true selves to work. And that obviously depends on a myriad of different things that make us up as humans. Um, so essentially what Wellity is, is training and consultancy. Um, we have a huge amount of resource. We probably have 350, 400 titles of well-being. And we'll come on to some examples of those, uh, which they can access by um, group seminars, webinars, e-learning facilities, uh, downloadable resource, posters, engagements, and all sorts of stuff. We help to create the culture within your organization that makes it everyday conversation, that just normalizes the conversation around mental health and allows them to really realize that they're not alone in their thoughts, that everyone has, has these things. Um, and that's just widely available resource through training and consultancy. Fantastic, because for me, it's interesting. What we've really noticed, and this is, again, this is my experience more in the last two or three years has been as ultimately as an industry I've never witnessed so many stylists talking about burnout okay and I know it's a conversation that, that we've had but it's something that suddenly happened more and more and more and a lot of it is stylists particularly stylists um having a lot of pressure put on them, number one, to perform during their workplace. So, you know, the more guests that they facilitate, the more money they earn, et cetera, et cetera. And stylists actually being on this kind of, you know, roller coaster of just, you know, eight, 10, 12 clients a day because I need to take X amount of money. But actually, when you, you look at them and you see what they're doing, it it's actually quite scary that so many people are getting themselves to such a point where they're not then asking for help because they mm. either don't know how to do it. And that's obviously the facility that having something like Wellity as part of your business and enables you to offer. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. We were, well, I mean, you did exactly this apparently the other day, didn't you? Um, when I came to watch you on the 12 yeah. stages of burnout. Yeah, it's, it's the, really the, the education, the insight, the understanding, because when we're talking about burnout and considering that the last year, 89% of professionals reported experiencing burnout, you know, it, it's something that is really, really quite a concern across the working population at the moment. And the, the big problem is the, the deluge of the stress hormones, the, the chronic amount of stress hormones within the body makes us very blinkered to what's happening immediately in front of us. So when you say about people, they don't actually realize until they get to that breaking point. No, it's because of the way the stress hormones are very much like now, 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 do, 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 and very much focused on being reactive to what's in front of us. So I, I must fulfill these appointments. I must, you know, churn through all these different guests to make that money. You know, we're very much reactive. So it's about teaching people how and when to take off those blinkers, how to recognize the signs, you know, particularly when we're looking at, at that chronic stress, it affects our creativity, our innovation, you know, things that I'm pretty sure are quite important in relation yeah, to the line of work. It, it's hugely important. So, you know, that when that starts to diminish, we start to get more and more frustrated. So we push ourselves harder to try and achieve the levels that we previously achieved. And it's kind of a slippery slope. And 
even though burnout is an occupational phenomenon, there are intrinsic individual risk factors that you know we need to be aware of. And so understanding that in ourselves, high performers, those who experience imposter syndrome, those who really want to prove what they can do, who are really passionate about their line of work, you know, you can see these risk factors and these hazards that we're navigating. And if you have a workforce who understand that and start to recognize the tells essentially within themselves that you know, this is starting to push me in a direction that isn't healthy, that isn't good for me, both my well-being and for myself, you know, in my profession. And what do I need essentially to do for myself or other people to do for me to reverse that decline on that slippery slope? But awareness and education is really, really key. And, and much earlier before getting to that point, you know, we need to be that kicking in before somebody's got to that point where they perhaps do need to take time off when they're really, really unwell. And that's essentially at the core of, of what we do is being more proactive rather than reactive and really looking at source, what the issues are and, and how we can help to, to remedy them, essentially. It's, it's amazing to hear that because I think I probably, and again, even since starting this podcast, I've probably never had so many amazing conversations with you know, other salon owners, other hairdressers in the industry, because it's kind of opened up a network of where people are starting to feel comfortable to, mm-hmm. to talk about this, but also where salon owners are actually realizing that we have this other obligation to our teams because mm-hmm. effectively our industry, our teams are our stock, you know, they, they are mm-hmm. our product realistically. And for us, we have to really make sure now that we nurture them you know, and we do take care of them because without that stock, mm-hmm. we don't we don't create any income. Um, so it's wonderful to hear that because I think it's also that approach. So in 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 your eyes, do you sort of see the approaches like you said, it's more daily, weekly, kind of monthly, you know, one to ones, team chats, mm-hmm. or is it a place as well? Because sometimes we find things even within like our little groups in the salon, we have like WhatsApp groups and stuff. You know, sometimes we've set up areas where people can feel like it's confidential they can they can offload how their day was Mm -hmm. um and it's i suppose having a tool like wellity alongside you gives you that would that be right yeah it's it's kind of like if you haven't got any of that trust is the trust is the biggest word when it comes to mental health and well-being okay we're not going to open up because we feel judged we feel immediately judged there's it there is a stigma around it still and only when we see other people effectively going into a safe space and not being bashed over the head that's when we think okay that's the safe space that I'll go into as well and that's where dialogue and the continual narrative comes within an organization that can start you're exactly right start in whatsapp groups it can start in as long as they're monitored and it's not excluded etc yeah. etc um, and there's a whole different catalog of training around social media and, and switching off but it's really trust and I think the if someone said, right, on next Tuesday, you're going to go and see Sandra and you're going to go and tell her, tell her about your mental health. It's down the corridor, up the flight of stairs. It's a big, dark, dark door over there. You'd say, well, hang on, who's Sandra? What's going to happen afterwards? What's happening with my data, et cetera? And that's when it all falls down. And we see a lot of, a, a lot of organisations who are trying to put plasters str- over something. So this is why one session won't solve it. One uh, paper, one white paper, one... Um, meeting because it's putting a plaster over and it's got to start way before that in just the narrative that you if a senior leader is going to put something in place they're going to create an open door policy they're opening the door 
they have to be the ones to walk through it first to allow everyone to gain trust in, mm. in what they're doing. So there's a huge amount of narrative um, in there, Sadie, from, from what you can do day to day. And it's the tiny little things. Because once people think they're almost being sold to, oh, he's going to he's angling down on the mental health. Why is that? So it, uh, it's got to be far, far more subtle than that. And obviously, people can read it like a book. So authentic is the word that we use. Just, yeah. just be normal I mean, and be authentic. I think, to your point, that people are the most important asset a business has. They, they really are. And it's any efforts to promote and encourage and optimize their well-being it really has to come across as genuine and authentic you know it really has to be felt by those individuals that my company actually cares and it's not just because mental health is all over social media and the news at the moment and it's the it's the current thing on trend you know it's it's because they really care about me and that has to be positioned really really well so you know essentially yes we do work with some huge huge corporates and big brands across the world but what we work very closely with smaller companies to do is establish, okay, what do you already have in place that works? You know, when do people get together and talk? Is there a local park that everyone goes to if they're having a rough day? You know, really understand that. We don't want to try and reinvent and revolutionize things you have in place if they already work. So talking to a company in consultation, what's it like? What's the vibe there? Depending on the business size, we might do a focus group and just have an informal chat with people about what it's like to be an employee within that business. And then we formulate a structured framework by way of what services and products we can provide to support that workforce because they have to meet in the middle. They have to actually seem that they're relevant to the people there. We might train in mental health first aid. We might not. It really depends on what works, where the stresses are and where essentially we can see the biggest improvements to be made um, but it's a constant review process so typically with the smaller businesses we set up a payment plan that you pay per month for a set amount of services if something happens and you're thinking we don't know what to do with this one you can give us a call of a direct line to an occupational psychologist and say this has happened I'm not quite sure what to do how can you support us equally we're very responsive to what's happening in the world very agile so for example situation in Ukraine the minute that happened within days, we were providing training to our client partners to say, like, this is how your people might be feeling. This is how they talk to their children. So we're providing those resources very much in the moment because this isn't a point that you just sell a box to someone and say, well, that's well being done. It, it's it's constantly having your finger on the pulse and embedding that. And even if it's an employer coming to us and saying, look, my people are really stressed about inflation at the moment. You know, price of living is, is soaring I'm really worried about them because they're putting pressure on themselves to work extra, see more guests. You know, what can I do about that? We live in a very much changing world. So we work closely with businesses of every size, to be honest, to, to make sure that we're helping them navigate that changing world, essentially. The thing with businesses like yours, Nathan, is you feel every bump of the mm. road. That's the difference between SME and corporates is that if, if someone... If someone is uh, worried that someone is drinking too much, taking too much time off, noticing the signs of domestic abuse, eating disorders and everything else. If, if that conversation hasn't in some tiny little way been instigated or started at some point or that safe place has been encouraged, then those conversations simply just get avoided because no one mm. wants to say the wrong thing. And we say to everyone, you don't have to have all the answers to everything. I mean, let's face it, no one knows what the questions are at the moment. They keep changing by the week. And all we ask is for empathetic leadership and empathetic style of colleague, you know, collegial behaviour so that everyone can just be a bit nice and, and aware of what everyone's going through. I think that's where, I mean, just leading to my next question about kind of culture, I, 
I think that's the most, one of the most interesting things about the hair industry as a whole. Like, say, you were saying about, you know, having a safe place. You know, if I take my colour room, <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous, the conversations that actually happen in... Ultimately, you know, we have a 4,000 square foot salon and the smallest space is where <laughs> the most crazy conversations, you know, go on. But it, it, I don't know what it is, but it's that bit like when you're in the kitchen, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's that thing about where suddenly people just feel they can just open up in this, this space. Um, and it is really interesting because, the, as you were saying, the thing about the sort of hairdressing industry is it ends up becoming very much like a family unit. I mean, mm. I genuinely feel like the father of 30, you know, daughters. It's that sort of scenario, which is crazy. And it is a minefield. It, it is a minefield because, you know, Simon, you're so right. Every single day, it feels like something else is, is changing and happening. And kind of being aware of... The, you know those team members that are coming in they may be having a bad day and as much as mm. everybody just maybe says oh actually you know you got to leave it at the front door we just can't do that like it's just not possible which is where again sort of coming on to sort of culture you know what um in kind of your eyes would be the sort of key tools for creating a safe culture in your business what is it that we can do uh, as salon owners in relation to creating that psychological safety, you know, it, if, it, if it's difficult to start with in encouraging people to, to talk about their mental health, you can start much broader than that. You know, when we talk about psychological safety, people often sort of default thinking, talking about stress and anxiety and depression. But essentially, psychological safety is just taking into personal risks. It's, it's allowing ourselves to be open and honest and say, hey, I made a mistake with this. Hey, I've got an idea and knowing we're not going to get shot down. And it's just enabling ourselves to be really, really open with the people that are around us, whether it is management, whether it's our colleagues and just bringing, it's referred to our whole self to work. It's emphasizing we are human beings, not human doings. It's not just what we do, it's, it's who we can be. And the more that we can encourage and promote that, it's going to start to have that knock-on effect in, in people like, okay, so I, I made a mistake, mistake and, and spoke about it and people you know, helped me learn from that mistake, you know, and it just helps us to start to realise that we can put ourselves out there without that fear of judgment or consequence and a negativity, um, essentially that a lot of people associate that, you know, because a lot of the time we hear vulnerability, we hear failure, you know, we've got instantly these negative associations with that. So we need to actively from a culturally cultural perspective is, is counteract that with positive reinforcement that we all make mistakes, we all mess up. And that has to be throughout an entire business, no matter what size that everyone just steps up and says, yeah, I'm not perfect either. I'm yeah. only human. I don't have all the answers either. I get stressed too. You know, it, it just helps people know that it genuinely is okay to be okay. And I just think as well, a lot of the time we think that we have to have all the answers when we go into these conversations, if somebody does share, but the most powerful thing we can do to encourage them to keep disclosing is to really actively listen and not actually having to say a great deal. And something that we talk a lot about in the trainings is that Rather than going into a conversation, think of all the things you're going to say, all the things you definitely won't say and get tied up in the words is how do I want that person to feel after this interaction with me? You know, acknowledge, supported, respected, valued, heard, you know, that you've given them that real time, not distracted, not half like, mm, yeah, OK, yeah, looking at you watch, but actually giving them time it's not the words they're going to remember. It's that space that you created for them. Yeah. And again, 
that they will talk about. They won't say they said this and I said this and they said that. They'll say, I just had a, a chat with Nathan and he really made me feel supported and heard. So that cascades to other people and that emotion. And that, and that is that safety thing, isn't it? Yeah. Now, it's, it's so lovely to hear that. I am. Um, I was very fortunate a couple of weeks ago, I interviewed the CEO of a um, lawyer professional called Beatrice Dalsenberg. And mm-hmm. she gave me a lovely quote, which was, um, listening as if you had a thousand ears over your body when you're with somebody. Um, and I was like, and I've, and I've actually already, I've really taken that on. Um, and actually it's even really helped me like doing this as mm-hmm. well, because um, I have, I'm, I'm terrible. I have a natural tendency to like jump in uh, because I'm just full of energy. And You're not on your own. <laughs> You're not on your own because we, people try and fix things straight away. So I've got this going, oh, right, leave it with me. I'll sort it, I can help. And it might be on a complete, that's coming at it from your angle. And, and another thing that we say, especially, you know, a lot of it's going rife within teenagers at the moment is that they don't need fixing necessarily. If they're coming to you with some sort of problem, they might not even come to you, you might have to observe it, but they don't necessarily want it fixed. They want you to step into their darkness and just sit there for a bit and see it through their eyes. And only then you can get a feel for the emotion, the temperature, whether the temperatures drop, whether it's got darker, and, and you see what they're seeing. And that's all they want because a lot of the work we do is around empowerment. So it's around, um, I mean, say that you've got courses on this, isn't it? It's, it's not the inter. It's not the being independent. You can tell he's got the well-being qualification. <laughs> it's not the what the inter independence. It's the interdependence, isn't it? It's people finding out the tools that they can then work through a, a situation on themselves. And um, I think I think we try and overcomplicate this sometimes because being an empathetic person is what we probably are anyway. Um, and we try and go into this sort of oh crikey, it's happening at work. What do I do? Rather than come, let's have a chat, um, let's get somebody else to talk to you. Can someone else on your wavelength perhaps start another conversation that instigates, um, instigates them to, to start talking? And we look at vulnerability as really breaking it down so that we don't have to have all the outcomes. And that, that's really what I think vulnerability is. It's just mm. letting yourself go for a sec because you don't know what, what the outcomes are. And the biggest thing that I think an organisation can do and what we do we try to do a lot here is accept failure. See, the minute you accept failure and the minute you accept we're all normal, it takes the pressure off us all, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, and there's an interesting thing. The owner of Spanx in America, she was the youngest female billionaire, I think, or, or by 40, wasn't she? Is that correct? Yeah. And um, she had this story that where every time she went home, her dad didn't necessarily celebrate the exams she got right uh, or the grades that she got, etc. He asked her, what? three things have you failed at today I mean what a lovely thing in a way that you can actually come back talk about the things you failed at things you're trying to do better um and he obviously sets a policy within that organization for his family which is failures you know what failure is the only way to learn um etc and I think you get that right within an organization you allow people to try and develop themselves and it's 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 interesting to hear that I mean here we are you know I'm sort of coming up by 25 years of having our business. And actually I almost feel like um, I'm probably understanding that now. And actually I think my biggest learnings have been almost since starting this show, because I've actually been incredibly vulnerable on this show. I've 
let out more emotion probably on this show than I do generally as a person. And actually, it has been really engaging for my team because my team have started to listen to that. And I think vice versa. So we're now sharing things in quite a, a different way. But also to express your failures, um, ultimately, as you said, Simon, is the, the greatest way to learn. And, you know, we do it with our children, don't we? We love our children unconditionally. And actually, it doesn't matter if Archie goes and crashes my car. It's no big deal. It's just a car. You know, I'm probably going to be angry for a minute. But actually, maybe we've got to curb that that kind of anger and just go, well, it happens. You know, life's, life's kind of going on. Um, I love that. It's just my brain's going a little bit crazy when I start to, uh, to start to think about so many other questions. I could probably talk to you about that subject. Um, but yes, about Spanx. It's amazing. I mean, she's what an incredible woman. Sarah is an, an amazing, yeah, absolutely um, phenomenal. And um, now, alongside um, the sort of programs that you you do, do you also focus on creating that balance? So that balance within your life, alongside sort of health and well-being, but also does that include sort of you know physically taking care of yourself as, mm-hmm. as well as um, massively? I mean there is a phrase at the moment with all this hybrid working are you are you working from home or are you living at work mm. and as soon as you just switch that around and go I am here all day I need to define my boundaries I still need to switch off the phone I need to look after my nutrition and my diet and bearing in mind there are a huge amount of people working from home this musculoskeletal and ergonomic all of that side of it bent over in our chairs on laptops at the end of bed working from the kitchen table you don't get the necessarily get the commuting, the walking at lunch, the going out. And these are things we have to be extremely mm. careful about, which is why we integrate that as well into the um, into the work we do. Yeah, a big part of it is talking about energy and energy management. And, you know, when you navigate away from terminology around stress and, and pressure and all this and just talk about that, there's only so much energy that we have to play with. There's different types of energy and how we can replenish our reserves, essentially, and, and how we can navigate that and a lot of the work we do there is is highly, highly practical, again, customised to different businesses. So I can imagine, you know, in your industry, a lot of people on their feet a lot of the time, you know, getting strained certainly in their upper arms and their neck and, yeah. you know, what they can do to navigate that stretches that they can do, you know, talking about fueling their body, the things that they can eat if they are going to be on their feet and on the go a lot. So it's it's navigating and recognising the challenges with different lifestyles. Like Simon said, if somebody is working from home, cranked over a laptop, there's going to really, really affect Again, their shoulder, their neck, the concentration, they're going to have a lot, a lot of repetitive strain. So it's it's really starting to explore how that's affecting them and, and what they can do to overcome certainly bad habits, because yeah. essentially that's a big part of it. We all know if somebody says you should be drinking lots of water, um, getting lots of movement in your day and all these things, you're like, yeah, yeah, I know, I know that, but I don't. <laughs> And it's thinking, well, why don't I then? And the science behind why it's good for us and how to overcome the barriers to that are really, really key points that we explore because otherwise it's it's almost bordering on a little bit patronizing because it's like, yeah, I know I should get eight hours sleep. I know, I know I shouldn't, you know, be snacking on bad things throughout the day or skipping meals or having a couple of glasses of wine every night. You know, people know it these days, but it's just how to really encourage them to develop new habits and to overcome the barriers to achieving that based on their lifestyle their working environment their family demands all these other things so that they can make that a reality essentially I think and that's it's interesting because this is something I spoke about quite heavily on a, a previous show which was about um for me those kind of micro habits yeah 
because actually those are the ones that are ultimately achievable you know there's nothing worse than when somebody says right i'm going to lose a stone in the next six weeks and you think <laughs> just just chill out it's not going to happen all right it's like, if you do that you're going to do it maybe achieve it but then it's going to come back on very quickly that's dash my dreams <laughs> i can help there simon <laughs> but just but just by going actually do you know what? i'm going to try and lose a pound a week Mm-hmm. or I'm going to I'm going to drink you know a liter of water a day and then I'm going to go to etc etc because again this is something that you know I think I'm certainly trying to introduce more into the sound that like we're now trying to do yoga like once a month with the team we're now looking at you know putting like stretch bands in so they can think about their posture um, and you're so right about getting outside because um, I mean, we're very fortunate in the location where we are, you know, we're surrounded by countryside, but obviously so many places aren't. But actually, you know, getting up from that office table and having a walk outside and just, you know, taking some breaths of, of mm-hmm. air in. Because um, this then just, just leads me to uh, just one of the questions that, so my industry obviously talks a lot, right? We love talking. That's one of the, the biggest parts, I think, of, you know, <laughs> being uh, a hairdresser is conversation. Um, and it enables us to obviously build incredible relationships. But as a result of those incredible relationships, we um, are bombarded sometimes with a lot of people's issues, our guests. You know, the mirror is a psychological element that people just feel they're talking to themselves. So they just offload everything. And, and we've certainly experienced it again, uh, more so since coming back from lockdowns and various things where my team have literally at the end of the day, they've had the weight of the world on their shoulders. Um, so is there anything that you think they could do to, to enable themselves to not kind of have that? Is there any like tools that you think we could utilize with that? I think I, I did actually want to explore this topic because I know how much I talk to my hairdresser. <laughs> <laughs> It's like you sit down. How have you been? Well, <laughs> get comfortable. Yeah. So yeah, I, I can imagine. I can imagine, and particularly mm. after the last few years, you know, it, it is that environment where people do really, really open up and disclose, and that it, it can be quite taxing, particularly if people are natural empaths and you know finish their working day and really take things away with them and think, wow, that's really, really difficult what that person's going through, and yeah, it, it can weigh literally quite heavy. I think taking the time to process that so making sure that at the end of the day before rushing back to home life and all the different demands that brings just taking time to either just go for a walk and and reset and reboot talk to a trusted colleague you know just talk to someone offload it essentially we don't have to go into detail about who it was and exactly what they said but just that was really tough and I really really feel for that person you know it always is for me when, when we're talking about shifting from particularly empathy to compassion compassion is is more practically led so familiarizing yourself if there are if we've got an individual who typically talks to people about certain things that are of concern familiarizing themselves with perhaps charities in the local community that they could signpost them to so they feel they're actually providing some source of support but also journaling i'm a huge mm. fan of journaling it, it took me a while because <laughs> it was like how how can writing things down help but it's just a release and particularly for things that are quite confidential and, and difficult subjects that perhaps somebody doesn't want to talk to a colleague or, or doesn't want to, to share what somebody else has divulged to them. Just of an evening writing all of that down and releasing what you think and what you feel and how it's affected you. Perhaps it's triggered something from your past, just letting it go. And when I first started doing this, I kind of, 
I kind of looked at it like somebody else might read it and that I, I, I was really concerned about what I was writing and even how legible it was. And then it got to a point where it's just scroll. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> but it's so really, it's just such a great release. And it just takes it from being bottled up in here to just being down here. And it's really cathartic. It really, really is. Yeah. Simon? Well, we do bits on leadership as well. I mean, Nathan, you'll probably find that a lot of this sort of comes to you in this environment. Um, and we do work on leadership being approachable, but also accessible. Um, and if you're not accessible because your diary is busy as well, who is the next person or the next contact down from that? And it doesn't have to be a case of telling everyone. It could be a stress room. It could be a board where you go and write your feelings, you know, and a whiteboard where you literally go in there and go, God, this is the, I mean, we find it with the blue light um, agencies as well, police, ambulance, and they, you know, the, experiencing mini traumas effectively mm. all day. You do take it with you and they can't sit inside you. Um, they actually can become quite derogative to you as well because you then have the pressure of the world to try and what, like we said before, sort it, which goes back to that um, that culture almost of not having to fix everything. Mm. And I think maybe a conversation in, in the morning or the afternoon or on a Tuesday or a wellbeing session or, or a whiteboard or something just to let people be heard and understood. That's all really people want to mm. hear. I mean, it must be, it must be an interesting in a packed environment that you are that everyone is unique aren't they and everyone is individual say if we look at diet for example not that I like that word diet but healthy eating healthy can mean something very different to two individual people can't it on different ends of the scale um, and I know it, when I look at you know my daughter if you look at the sort of gym chart the protein the, it's being aware sometimes how that could make other people in the environment feel who are trying just as hard but perhaps are, are on a different level and that could come down to fashion food uh what you're doing at the weekend money financial anxiety is rife at the moment and you can't solve all of these things can you 100 percent. and that is something that ultimately we have experienced quite heavily in this last even this last six months is the the impact of people's conversations um, and the food that maybe they eat, um, even in like in our staff room. Mm. And it is incredible how we've had to really work on making people aware of that because you're, you're dead right. Every single person is different. Every person's view is different, you know, and it's, I think it's, you know, trying to manage that, number one, as we said, is very difficult, but actually if there is maybe an outlet, um, I love the board idea. I think that's, um, I think it's actually a great idea um, just to have something up that's really simple. If somebody comes in and, you know, writes that they're fed up today, well, there you go. At least they've kind of done that, but also said you're so right with journaling. I'm, I'm a massive advocate for it. I've been doing it for about six years now uh, and it's been an absolute game changer because you both know you run businesses, uh, having everything that we've done. There are many times when you wake up at 3.38 and you lie there and you cannot get back to sleep. And my ultimate, ultimate tool is to get up, write it out of my head. Mm -hmm. And then I come back to bed and I generally can get back to sleep again because I've offloaded it. 
So I think, yeah, for anybody listening, seriously, just just start, make a start. It doesn't matter how crap it is, just do it. But you, you also write about how how bad your writing is. Do you realise how bad <laughs> <now>? <laughs> I said it's crazy. You are literally like doctors, like yeah. scroll. <laughs> Especially if it's three in the morning. But it also depends on the pen. It's all about the pen, yeah. you know. <laughs> we forget sometimes, don't we, that sales leaders, entrepreneurs, they need support too. They're almost the last ones to actually get help because you're you're sponging uh, emotion as much as uh, the people in the salon are sponging from from them. Um, and I think you know we work with HR departments as well who have to have all the answers. Like you've got to have all the answers to what to all what the time. to do just after a global pandemic when everything else is good. Well, how do you know you've not been there before? Yeah. Um, and I think it's very important that leaders and people in human resources departments also have their outlets where they can speak frankly and by mm. frankly I mean honestly and without fear of retribution um, within a group of people that kind of are in that room that we talked about they're in the room seeing it through their eyes and they can just talk you don't need outcomes because that's vulnerability you don't know what the outcome is you've just got it just like journaling really in that you've just got mm. to get it off your shoulders I think that's it's interesting that as well because that that is also talking to, to most of the sound that we spoke to you suddenly realize it is a lonely environment you know, I was only having a conversation yesterday. We had an education seminar in the salon and there was like 15 other salon owners. And I was like, look, guys, do you know what I'd love to do? I'd love to set up like even every quarter, just like a, a breakfast where it's like 10, 20, 30 of us. And we can just kind of offload, you know, mm-hmm. offload the sort of thoughts and feelings that we've got as salon owners. Because it is one of those that you're continually looking after your team, but ultimately you forget yourself. And actually, that's when you realise your support network. I'm very lucky. Uh, obviously, my wife, Helen, you know, we, we both got businesses. We both get home and we we just sit there over dinner once the kids are in bed. And it's just like, and we get it out of the way. Um, and then you take a sigh of relief and you go, right, anyway, let's move on. But you, you've, you've got that. But I think if you haven't, I, yeah, I think it's incredibly difficult. So having a tool where you can contact somebody and actually, you know, express uh, your feelings mm. but with the added support of maybe having HR advice or something is fantastic yeah. um, now sorry I'm just going to drop in here uh, now I've really started to obviously I went through the site I've started to really look at the site okay um, Sadie I've looked at a lot of your courses and the things you've got it looks stellar I mean it looks pretty amazing all right and Simon you're right there is a lot there okay you sort of ticked every single box what I'd like to do is what does it look so for me as a as a salon owner? What does it look like, and how we would action some of these things? So you've got all those tools there that let's say I would have access to. When you do like some of the courses or the seminars and things that are there, would that be me on like a big screen, kind of going through it with the team and then talking about it in a group, or is that they they access that? How how does it look? Well, I mean, um, it's training and consultancy provision. And I think with the subscription service, which is best for SMEs, it's just knowing that there's somebody always there. The first thing we would do is really look at the wellbeing calendar that might give you an open door to any of the things that are going on. I mean, you get days for day think now in terms of um, wellbeing events, whether it's International Stress Day, um, Mental Health Awareness Week, um, Suicide Prevention Day, all these different things. Um, and they can give you open doors where anyone has any of these um, thought processes that might be preventing them bringing their true selves to work. It also gives um, 
a phone line to, like Sadie said, to the consultant psychologist who's on the end. And effectively, it's, it's trained. So no, it wouldn't involve you. It might be a few people, an hour session that's delivered remotely or on site, depending um, on how easy you can get everyone in one room. And we work with the public sector and some of the blue light services. Very hard to get, well, all now anyway, very hard to get people in that environment. So it can be an e-learning um, session or a course, or it could be delivered to four or five of you that's recorded remotely and then um, uh, sent to everyone on email uh, so they can read through with then focus groups following it up. Because I think that's one of the hardest things that we find ultimately as a business, and I'm sure, again, within the industry, is getting everybody together. Mm. You know, the time factor, you know, we end up, because of obviously having so many guests booking six to eight weeks in advance, we end up almost having to, you know, book the calendar out so far in advance and say, you know, look, team, there is a meeting booked in here, but actually sometimes, you know, you want it to be that quick fire off the cuff or if they've got a bit of time um, that they can access it instantly so that's that's fantastic we could arrange something like that yeah it can, it can be posters it can be pdfs it can be um posters with a qr code that people can go and look at this material in their own time yeah um it really starts at the top with the culture mm-hmm. um, but it's basically a whole load of material around every well-being day of the year i mean well-being itself is a work that's becoming incredibly diluted i don't think many people actually know what well-being is and yeah. some organizations think as, as soon as you start with the well-being you stop with the performance um and it's not it's a marriage of the two um so it's a lot a lot of provision there's 350 400 different titles that can be delivered live on site or in person um and then can be recorded and distributed within the teams but it's if essentially giving business owners and businesses access to anything that might come up anything that might just pop up on a day-to-day basis with any of your employees i think that's amazing because that again as we said earlier that is probably the hardest thing i think as a boss (laughs) is you don't have all the answers and and actually having a great resource that we can access to help us with delivering the answers um, is a fantastic tool which sounds it can range from anything like someone saying they're anxious what what does anxiety mean what is it actually how can we approach it um and we do have incidents we have grave incidents when there's um to go a bit deep where there's an incident of suicide within an organization and people don't know how to necessarily use the the dialogue the narrative to approach how do we send the comms out how sensitive do we have to be how long do we leave the desk um essentially without replacing it uh, all of these different what do we do for aftercare for those who love them, for time off, for all of this sort of stuff. It is just a myriad. And that comes down to well, that comes under the well-being thing as well, because that will um will be present in people's minds and their families and everything else. And we just want to be there at the end of the phone to give constructive advice on what to do with resources available. Um, and that for SMEs is the subscription service basically, which can come in any sorts of packages, we don't mind. It's tailored completely to your budget. Um, we just want to make it accessible for everyone. That, that's really Wellity's main priority now over the next year or two in the short term. Well, I think that sounds like a great tool. Now, before I like to finish my interviews, uh, I have this thing called the final five. Okay. And as, uh, as entrepreneurs in what you're doing, I'm going to love, these are short, they're short fire questions. You don't need to go crazy on them. All right. 
they're quite good fun. Um, okay, so let's have a look at this. So you've had quite a major year. Uh, so what's the biggest thing you've learned in the last 12 months? Simon first, shall we? Uh, that I need an auto cue when I speak in front of big crowds. Um, <laughs> the biggest, the biggest thing I've learned is that it doesn't matter how big or small an organisation is, everyone is in the same boat at the moment. Literally, from big to small, no one is quite sure about what to do. Love that, Sadie. I need to listen to my own advice um, and be quite strict in setting non-negotiables downtime away from business because when you're passionate, that can sometimes be difficult to do, but. Simon helps me to do that as well. It's quite beneficial. <laughs> well, you've got each other. All right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, what's the first thing you do in the morning, the last thing before you go to bed? Oh, don't. This goes about against every piece of advice <laughs> that we give. Um, I mean, the, the first thing I do is turn the alarm clock off, which is on my phone, which we say is a big no-no. You know, then you've got the social media uh, and the little loop that you go through each morning. Uh, so... I've got to admit, that's the first thing I do. There is water next to the bed, so I do make that. Some, someone said that was a very good idea once, um, which I've taken. And the last thing at night, I can't tell you. No, the last thing <laughs> at the, the last thing, the last thing at night. Do you know what? I spend my life in hotels at the moment. Sounds glamorous, it isn't in the no. week, because I live in Exeter, I work in Essex and travel around bits and bobs. A blind, this, this isn't rude, but a blindfold and earplugs. The well, two well, things well, after I've set my alarm, and I actually found that really therapeutic. Yeah, the earplugs going first, and the eye, and then that's it. I'm I'm off. Um, I'm sleep. See, I'm a, I'm an advocate for good sleep, so I'm all over it. Do whatever you got to do for good sleep, Sadie. Morning, strong coffee and long dog walk. Yeah, just got a new puppy, so that's lovely. That's very, a new baby. Very demanding. Yeah, um, <laughs> and reading. I've I've. I've always enjoyed reading and I've been quite strict with myself. I need to read at least a, a, a chapter of an evening. It helps me unwind. Mm, that's good. Yeah, my wife loves that. Um, Favourite piece of advice and worst piece of advice that you can think of? Go on, you, go first, you go first on this. Look at you scrolling through your notes. Um, <laughs> best, I don't know if it's, it's technically a piece of advice, but it, it's a quote that's actually positioned in a frame behind me that was given to, to me by one of the staff. And... Um, that emphasizes you can be any no because you can be anything but not everything and that's always always stuck with me because I think in society we try and push ourselves to be perfect 100% juggle all these balls and, and it's just it's just not feasible and sometimes I have to yeah give myself that reminder um the worst or is there, I guess, you didn't, or is there a piece that you you've heard and you just didn't listen to it um, I think it's generally not a specific piece of advice, but generally this, this societal pressure that essentially it's this hustle culture um, that you have to push, 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 go, 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 go. And it's like, no, no, you don't at all. To be successful, no, that's, that's really not sustainable. So it's trying to push against that. So if I ever hear anyone talking about that to be successful, particularly as an entrepreneur, that you have to really push yourself and work all the hours. It's just, no, it's, it's, that's not how you're going to be successful or, or healthy or Everybody happy. Everybody loves a side hustle, don't they? It's yeah. Like, really? You know. Yeah. Yes, that always on culture, isn't it? My, yeah. um, my best piece of advice um, would be to talk to yourself like you would do a five-year-old child. 
I'll give it some context because it might sound a bit daft, but you know, I've been there, and I know many of us have, that when your inner narrative is so loud and bold and demeaning and horrible and bitter against you, um, what I found was to talk to myself like a five-year-old child. So if a five-year-old child came up with a picture, painting, and you went, that's absolutely crap. Look at that. The paint's out, the lines, you've smudged it, you've mixed those colours, it's wrong. You know, that child would go off and never come back into that safe space again. And so many times, my internal narrative was, was being that horrible, dark, uh, bold. And by saying, come on, mate, um, don't worry about it. What should we do for next time? And really calming down and turning down the volume. Mm. Um, it really stopped me fear casting that impending doom was coming. So talk to yourself like you would do a five-year-old child, because we aren't, we're really horrible to ourselves sometimes. We'd never speak to anyone like that. Um, the phrase, I must go with, the hashtag that Wellity is, uh, which is the mantra we swear by, which is better every day. It doesn't matter what, what journey you're on, but just that tiny little increment each day in the right direction. In fact, that's how I define well-being, which is a bit funny, which is the actual the trajectory that you're going in. So even if you're at the bottom, but you're just coming off the bottom going up, that's still well-being for me because you're going in the right direction. Uh, well-being when you're, even when you're, you think you've got everything going down is um and when it comes to well-being the word selfish the word selfish in normal life has negative connotations the word selfish when it comes to your own well-being is an extremely positive thing so it's redefining that narrative as well and the meaning that you place around it um so yeah that, that's mine i love that i really do because i think sometimes you know you realize it's better when people say no you've got to say no to a lot more things haven't you you know don't have fomo it's like you know, you can't go to everything. You can't do everything. And actually, you're dead right. Being a little bit selfish to yourself and working on yourself is, is actually the biggest thing. So I love that. That's grand. Um, what's one thing you can't live without? Just one. <laughs> yeah, just pick out one thing. You think, well, if you were on Desert Island, what could you not live without? Simon? <laughs> oh, I don't know. Do I go wholesale on this to say my kids? Oh, yeah, that's, that's great. You know? <laughs> so seriously, not many people say their children. Do you know? Yeah, that? no, my children. <laughs> we got we got an incredible bond. But the one thing I couldn't live without is purpose. I've lived with no purpose before, and it is a horrible, horrible place to be. Um, I don't care about money anymore. It's for me, passion and purpose are the only things that I really love strive that. for. That's the first time. I love that. That's grand. <laughs> Brilliant. Sadie? Sadie. <laughs> um coffee <laughs> that was actually my first thought but now I'm not gonna go that shallow um <laughs> people the people that matter to me um th those close to me my my tribe um as people often refer to it so you know we we are social creatures and I think it's yeah. really really easy to put ourselves in that the category that we feel that we've got to do it all and be it all and we've got to do that on our own and there are a select number of people in my life that I adore and couldn't be without and yeah that we, we need oh, that. that yeah on purpose those are two great answers we're um, people powered aren't we yeah we are people sure. powered yeah and then um what would be let's say a rule that you think um more people should abide by Sadie's is probably don't work on a Friday. There is no way she works very, very hard, but there is no, on a Friday. That is night, that is. I don't work on a Friday. Friday night, that is an absolute boundary setter for you, isn't it? Yeah. 
Right, no work for you on a Friday night, Sadie, right? Just just set your own limits. Mm. Like, write your own rules. You know, there's there's so many, there's countries, there's companies that are introducing four-day weeks, you know, all these different legislation around how we should live, how we should work. And we need to write our own and literally have your own charter of life by your rules and have your own rituals and live according to that charter. I've got one exactly on that vein, and it's chop, chop. So uh, <laughs> do not be afraid. I went through a period where I had to just chop people out. And you, know, you get drains and gains in this world. And it might be the, the passive individuals that are sitting there, not encouraging you, but quietly just wanting secretly for your downfall or for those you know people in, in your life that don't mm. want or contribute anything to you. And I don't know what it is when you're young, you want to be popular. When you get older, you just think, I'm happy with three or four people around me. They're all positive and we're all nice and they're all kind to each other and everything else. You're as good as what? The five people you have around you're you. You're the product of the five people. But that includes social media people, the people you follow on socials. Yeah, just, just go through a period of chop chat and do it unapologetically because you won't miss them. You definitely won't miss them. And no. um, it just helped. It helped me. Yeah, I'm dead with you on that. So... There are 40,000 hair, barber and beauty salons uh, in the UK. And I honestly believe after this conversation that they could all do with a little bit of wellity help to help their mental health and working practices. So where can they find you? Where can they find you? Where should they go? Well, they can find us at www.wellityglobal.com. Uh, we're on LinkedIn at Wellity. We're on all other socials. Um, at Bewellity, B-E-Wellity, we would very much like to offer a reduction in the subscription service because of you, Nathan, and the great work that you are doing there. And for your community, anyone that you introduce or anyone that comes via you, we will look after. We just want to make it accessible to any budget that's aligned to the um, consultant business psychologist and all the resource. Um, we literally admire the work you do. So it's either Find us at the Great British Workplace Wellbeing Awards, which we host. If anyone's doing anything particularly terrific for their teams or have volunteers that have started running groups or anything else, contact us at hello at wellityglobal.com and we will absolutely roll out the red carpet. We support those who support others uh, and they'll be champions for us. Absolutely fantastic. Simon, Sadie, it has been an absolute joy chatting to you today. I feel like we could have gone on for a lot longer. <laughs> <laughs> I had a whole list of other questions that I was going to go through. But we'd have been here for two hours. But it's been absolutely amazing. It's been a pleasure. I look forward to catching up with you next time. And remember, uh, all of the details from this week's show will be on the bottom of the Hair Life podcast. All of the links. Uh, so we look forward to chatting to you very, very soon. Have a good day. We'll talk to you. You too. Keep up the good work.